Welcome to the Identity Matters Podcast. Hi, my name is Steve Finney and I will be your host. Any believer's life will go epic when they discover the indwelling life of Jesus Christ. Thank you for joining our podcast today as we unfold more of the truths of who you are in Christ. The believer going epic. There was power in Jesus' blood because there was no sin in his body. If you and I did not have sin in our mortal bodies, blood, we too would have the power in our blood. And this is why when we get into the new earth and we're given our new bodies, that we will literally be the representation of the power of God. Because there will be no sin inside of our blood. Jesus was birthed through the seed of his father, which gave him the identity of his father. But since there was no sin in the seed of his father, his son's blood had the same power elements of that of his father. The perfection that was and is in his father is what Jesus had and has as his identity. And this is why it's so critical for us to understand that the blood of Jesus itself truly contains identity. So we want to welcome our online listeners. We appreciate you joining us. We have been in the middle of a series on true grace. This is kind of a subcategory that comes under true grace called the believer going epic. And what we're doing is literally walking through the four primary power truths of Jesus Christ. And we're just making use of the cute little term epic. So we appreciate you joining us. This is 115. And the next couple messages that you're going to be hearing over the next couple weeks is identity in the blood. When we're finished with this little uh, talk about identity in the blood, I'm actually going to prove to you that people tend to believe the identity in the blood of humans' DNA is more believable than our identity spiritually in Christ Jesus because of the power of the shed blood of Jesus. It is easier for you to believe science than it is by faith believing something that the Creator has said is true about you. Here's our question. What ways have people attributed more to the blood of Jesus than what he himself even did or contributed or said about his own blood. Someone read for us, again, this has been our passage for the past couple of weeks. Read for us Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 16. 
What does it say there about the blood of Jesus accomplishes? Okay, so now this is an angle which I consider a, consider a primary topic of the blood of Jesus Christ is the power of drawing us near. Most of the time, the blood of Jesus is used in what way? Healing. I heal you in the name, the power, and the blood of Jesus Christ. But a drawing that there's actually power in Jesus' blood that draws people unto him and the body of Christ, it is supposed to be the very identity, the DNA that draws the body of Christ together, to stand together. Now, there are so many people, online listeners, please listen very carefully at 602-292-2982. Listen carefully. The body of Christ very quickly tosses out words that they do not understand the power in them. We sing songs, we preach messages, we, we make statements that seem to be so true, but we do not understand the power there of it. Does that bring to mind a verse? About denying the power there of it? We need to talk about blood and power. Because if we are put in this position as believers, indwell believers or Christ followers, whichever one you are, and you're throwing out these statements of Christianity but do not understand really what it means to have the blood of Jesus draw us together. As you know, I've been taking our little fellowship through this series of surveys, which is going to be processed by a third ministry. And you're going to notice that the questions that are coming over the next two more weeks are to reveal that simple point. Is that people tend to say, I'm there for the church, I am with, I am, and they come out with these strong statements about the church, but they're not here. Or at the first sign of rejection and defense and attack, the people are pulling away. All over the world, this is happening. So the question remains is, why is that? They're denying the power thereof. Power is absolutely unchangeable, whether it's on the evil side or whether it is on the righteous side. It is unchangeable. There's, there's nothing you can do with a power force coming at you except for fight it with another power. So if darkness is coming at you at such a pace that... You, you know, I get these messages. I, I had a situation right before you guys showed up tonight of a horrible situation that I'm trying to help a, a uh, brother from another state get through. It's, 
a horrible demonic situation. And both of us know as leaders, the only one, there's only one way to deal with power is with power. There's no human logic. There's no human niceties. There's no memorize this verse. There's no, I'll send you an encouragement card. None of that works. The only thing that can deal with power is power. And Jesus is making this clear to us. Paul is making this clear to us. We do not fight flesh and blood, which, listen carefully, listeners, we do not fight with letters. We do not fight with books. We do not fight with statements. We do not fight with those things. Those have no power in them. There is only one thing that can deal with a hurting brother or sister or child. And that's the power of the blood. It is the only thing that can be used to lift someone out of a dark place. And over the next few weeks, we're going to scripturally see that in a very real way. I want to ask you a question. Why in Scripture do you believe that payment was always done in blood? That is why we have capital punishment. It's why we have murder. That's why we have striking people. It's to get the blood. Why has blood always been the paycheck, the price? For everything. I mean, Cain did it to, to Abel. You're going to pay for this. That's where life is. Life is in the blood. Life is in the blood. The price. If you want to, if you want to use it effectively, the price is in your blood. Now you just watched a little vignette here about the power of the blood of Jesus paying our debt that we could not pay. When Adam and Eve ingested the presence of Satan, because that's what happened. They ingested the presence, the seed of Satan, which whatever fruit that was, we definitely know because Paul said it was a fruit unto death. It got into their mortal bodies and literally rearranged their bodies in such a way that sin got inside their mortal bodies. There is a misunderstanding. There's a cultish thinking that when Adam and Eve ate from that fruit of death, that it rearranged their blood system. And that sin got inside the blood system. So they had to rearrange all the doctrines to match that. Sin travels through the seed. When they ate the fruit, the seeds that were in that fruit is where the sin of Satan was. 
That's not just a symbol, it is a reality. That's what rearranged their DNA. So when we move forward now, when we talk about Mary, did she have a perfect body or not? Did she have a body that did not have sin in it? Someone approached me this past week. They've heard it several times being stated in regard to Mary having sin inside of her mortal body, but not in her blood, but yet having this birthing out Jesus Christ who was perfect. How could it really be that this child could be born with no contact of sin of Mary? Mary thus had to be Holy, the mother of God. Bad logic. But see, it makes sense with what I'm about to show you. Listeners, all you need to do for us to get through the rest of this series on the four cups is to remember the simple fact that sin travels through the seed, not through the blood. If there was no sin inside of our seeds, our blood would have power in it. Adam had the power. Eve had the power to walk away from that beast and his wicked fruit. But they did not. When they ate that fruit unto death. They lost their power of choice. They became the children of Satan. What did Jesus say to the Pharisees when he was, my guess he was probably angered at them? Because Jesus could get angry without sinning. What did he say to them? For you are sons of Satan. Of your father, Satan. You see, we forget that fact that, that we became children of Satan. That is a 602. 292. 2982. We became children of Satan. He became our father. This is all about bloodline. I had another person contact me this week and and wanted to know about this 144,000 because they're reading the book of Revelation book we put together with the book of Revelation and and it was obviously glaring that there's probably not going to be salvations after the rapture except for this 144,000 Jews. So I asked him, do you know those 144,000 Jews will be pure bloodline Jews? That's all's going to be left. The rest are going to be of these fake Jews that Jesus addressed with one of the seven churches. There will only be 144,000 authentic bloodline Jews. And those are the ones the two prophets come for. Oh, it's all about the blood. 
It's all about the identity in the blood. So the enemy has gotten in there and just messed up these sound, simple doctrines. And we're going to have to talk about some of those deceptions. Here's the universalist view of the blood of Jesus. Others would weaken the importance of the blood of Jesus by indicating that it does not matter if Jesus died or if he had blood flowing in his veins or shed his blood on the cross, let alone the purpose of doing so. It's just irrelevant. There's no point to it. He was just a prophet. He was a great leader. There's no special power about the blood that was running through his veins. Well, if you don't understand the principle I just shared with you, which is not just a principle, it is a scientific proof that the fact that God put his own seed inside Mary and Mary's blood doesn't mix with Jesus is science. Mommies, if you were a mother listening and you didn't know that, you can Google that baby and get that taken care of in about 40 seconds. The mother's blood doesn't mix with the baby. You see, this is a profound but simple truth. And this one simple, profound, simple truth has been twisted to the point that your average mother has never connected the dots. Oh, that does make sense. And I had this mother this week say exactly that. Well, I know it's true that the mother's blood doesn't mix with the baby, but she still had sin inside of her mortal body. Well, we'll have to talk about that. Historically, in the reality of the person of Jesus Christ, are irrelevant in their viewpoint. All that matters is how the story they call the myth affects the people and how they feel. And whether the people find religious comfort in a sense of peace in the love they believe as a universalist, it's about the me gospel. It's how does it make you feel? If Jesus makes you feel good, if that's a nice little platitude, then go for it. One hour before you guys came, I was in a, a intensive dialogue with someone from another state over the issue of this person hearing me making this difference between Christian and indwelled Christian. So I replied in one of the texts, are, are you Mormon? No, I'm not. Do Mormons call themselves Christians? It was easy. It was a very logical deduction to take her through that, right? Well, consider this. There's 119 other religions out there that use the term Christian. So then what are we supposed to call ourselves? What's our identity? Well, we're going to find out here real soon. Historical truth, whether it really happened, and is is it true or not true, means nothing to these existential people who are caught up in the subjective conclusions of whatever you want to believe. 
So if you say something that completely rearranges how they feel, they attack you. The most peace-loving people in the world classically are the most violent. If you oppose their peace. Problem there, I think. They believe that authentic Indo-Al Christianity is regarded as simply symbolic. It's not a reality. You can use the term the Holy Spirit lives in you and you can use it the term Christ is in you. You can use all those terms in the choose in the in the church, but I'm telling you today that I've been saying ninety percent, but I had a theologian guy who I'm in dialogue with on a regular basis say, I think it's more like ninety-nine percent of the church is deceived and using platitudes, Christian words and phrases, because they are like trained dogs. Well said, doctor. We are like well-trained dogs, saying the right thing, doing the right thing, having the Holy Spirit in us and whatever, but denying the power thereof. And where does that power come from? The blood of Jesus. There was no power in Jesus' words. There was no power in Jesus' clothing. There was no power in his tennis shoes. There was no power in any of those things. There was power in his blood. And it radiated from his body so when someone touched his garment, he felt the power drain out of him. It was his blood going through his veins, that was the power of his daddy, his Abba. Speaking of pills, we talked about the law pill. Boy, I know I'm probably going to get some kickback on this, but I've got to say this since this whole thing I'm moving into is platitudes of Christendom. is this simple thing, is that we have mastered the art of comfort pills. Many of us perfectionist type, and I sign up for that list for my flesh, but many of the perfectionist type love those law pills where we get up in the morning. (laughs) To it. Whoa, you're sinning today. How could you do that to me? You need to straighten yourself up. You need to... Now, there's a group that really enjoy their law pills. But then there's another group. They enjoy their comfort pills. And you know what? I did a couple hours of research on comfort pills. Literally comfort pills. We're talking medications that are used for comfort pills. So it is a real science, okay? But I'm going to use this in a spiritual sense. And here's what a comfort pill is. You open the bottle up and you, you know, shake one of those comfort pills out and you take that thing and swallow it with some living water. And this comfort pills are platitudes, they're statements that, that are right, but they're not 
grabbing a hold of the power. So it's, you know, encouragement card you get with, Jesus loves you and so do I. Thank you. What do you do with that? Then the next one, then the next one, then the next one, then the next one. Or literally, people do self-talk. They call it praying, but they do self-talk. They get up in the morning, and they're kind of talking their way, you know, supposedly to the Lord about stuff. And all they're asking for is platitudes. They want to read their devotional books. They want to read their Bibles. They want to dig out old letters from people that were encouraging them. They want to, they want to do all these things because they're wanting a comfort pill. I sign up for that with my flesh too. But the Lord has made me restless with comfort pills. When I get these strong encouragements back, I'm like, really? But what's on the other side of really? I'll tell you what's on the other side of really is the scripture Janie was just reading. It's embracing your pain. It's dripping out a little bit for Jesus' sake. Not for performance sake, for Christ's sake. That's the most difficult moment for me. Will you bleed out for me on this one? Will you join me in the fellowship? Get this, guys. This is not a platitude. This is not a comfort pill. Will you join me in the fellowship of my sufferings? When my spiritual mother died a few weeks ago, I said to her husband, you know the most comforting thing for me, which I end up putting it in a poem for him, but the most comforting thing for me is she no longer has to get up every morning and to move forward with joining in the fellowship of Christ's suffering. It's over. It is no longer an invite by Jesus. It is finished. There's, that's not a comfort pill. In fact, you're going to find when we get to our messages after these two, is that the pillbox that we're going to open up to is probably not one that many of us are ever going to take. Where you get up every morning and you say, who can we have abuse me today? When I am living and breathing in a society of comfort pills. Where you're not inviting rejection, you're finding ways to put fences up to guard yourself from rejection. So the kind of pill, using that term lightly, that we're supposed to take every day is not the law pill, changing other people so you have a comfortable day. It's not the comfort pill, and that is, please tell me fun little lies that make me feel better. The third kind of pill, the third item we are supposed to, principle we're supposed to embrace one of them in that bottle is, for you will suffer as I have suffered, and then some. Another one, join in on the fellowship 
of the sufferings of Christ. There's over 232 mentioned in the New Testament. We're going to talk about some of those pills because that's one of the cups. That's a part of the blood of Jesus Christ. In identity is where we get our behavior. Too much in the blood. On this slide, it says, there are those who would consider the blood of Jesus more significant than the word of God. The traditions of their church are more sacred than the word of God. Now, this one gentleman who came to see me, and he drove from afar to come see me, to have this discussion. We got into this whole dialogue about the importance of what is happening to the church. Because of a decision recently he made about the church. And one of the things he threw out, now it wasn't much of a curiosity for me because it's something I had been processing for a few years, but he was in the middle of this processing. So let me get this straight. Now here is a denominational leader sitting across the desk from me in his own church. He said, now this is what's bothering me. I don't even think he heard the message on us talking about this, maybe, I don't know. We say, if our denomination is coming out with a statement very soon that the word of God is no longer the word of God, it is a reference guide. Now, we already know that happened to the Presbyterian church worldwide. And now there's another denomination that is going to be announcing that before 2016 is over. So he, he is a, as a thinker, he's going, what do we have after that? What does this denomination have? What do the people have? Because it erases all discipleship. It erases all heavy-duty preaching. It, it removes everything. I said, except for one thing. The doctrines of the church. You see, their belief doctrines, this booklet, and I can guarantee you, because I've already done the research on his denomination and what's coming down, and I've kind of hinted to you guys that it's coming over the next couple of years, and this is the last year. It's going to affect our community significantly. they will be given a booklet that has the guidelines of this denomination. How they handle homosexual pastors, how they're going to handle uh, same-sex marriages, how they're going to handle offerings, how they're going to handle... It is their guideline book that replaced the Bible. The Bible's a reference book, but when it comes to our policy manual, that you better listen to. There you have it. There's some 
denominations like this one that has libraries filled with their doctrines. What's going to happen here is that people have the tendency to take truth and let their imaginations run wild, wild and turn it into a superstition. One of the superstitions of this church is if an altar boy drops bread from the tray, he is disciplined. Because there is a church statement in their books that you cannot put Jesus under your feet and trample on him. And if the communion bread falls from the tray to the floor, that is a confession of that particular church. Or if you, the priest spills the wine before it gets transformed into blood, there's consequences given to that priest. That's wild. But that's how it happens. The original truth as God established it soon develops or takes on a mystical meaning. So there's certain things in the Bible that kind of get used and twisted around for a different reason to support the policy book of that particular church. People have a tendency to build traditions around their self-life interpretations. And these sometimes become as important or more important than the original scripture itself. The result is we get a social me gospel. I know without question that the internet is the number one, number one vessel of Satan. Now I'm going to take advantage of it, as many other churches and ministries are doing. But the movement that you're not hearing much about is the social gospel. Stuff that's being posted on their on their, their favorite social websites or multiple uh, social sites and there's statements about how such and such a verse blessed me and, and, you know, lifted me up and whatever and the person's going to hell for Pete's sake. Or they are, are not being given the privilege to be challenged by an authority figure. So they just make these statements and like the statement that we read a while back of this young lady saying Jesus is not female or male. Well, what doctrine is going to birth out of that for Satan? Same-sex marriages. And that was before same-sex marriages was a, was a big deal. That's how it happens. Satan's not stupid in the sense of his own sin. His sin is very organized, it's very planned, and he's trying to get something accomplished. And that thing that he's trying to get accomplished is not this stuff. It is this, the social me gospel. Of course they have to rewrite these translations. To have a female-friendly one, and now the, now the male gay guys, they want one. Okay, write one. So you got a female-friendly version now, 
And now the gay guys want a male-friendly version one, which we just took that from them. So what's their deal? Ah, you're, go you're about to read what their deal is. If you think this stopped at the Supreme Court granting permission for same-sex people to get married, that was the open door to the final end of the end times. The buffinet of, uh, that the Masons use for Satan is a goat's head with a star, falling star, and some of you know what that buffinet looks like. And the goat's head with this grin on his face with a penis coming out of his crotch. That is the medical symbol with two snakes around it. The two magician snakes attacking the primary staff of Moses, which represents what? Yes, God's law. his power. And that's why when he took that staff and he touched those, those clean rivers, it turned to blood. That was the symbol of the Holy Spirit, the power of God. And we have the power of God living in us. And how does that work exactly? That's why we have to talk about this stuff. The Catholics, for example, emphasize the, the, the sacred blood of Jesus and his sacred heart. So you, you can't even hardly find a church. I mean, a community that doesn't have a church, it doesn't have sacred heart, something or other on it. They're serious about this sacred heart. And the misunderstandings, the confusion, the, the liberal thought that it's bringing to believers has got true indwelt believers or Christ followers simply saying, well, I don't necessarily say that church is occultish. I wouldn't say that particular church is not necessarily not Christian. If you spent one week combing over the doctrines of the Catholic Church, you'd see very quickly who was the father of that. 602-292-2982. It's the simple facts. It is in their church history. They slaughtered anyone. There was a day although there's many that believe they still do it, but there was a day that if you mention the term, idea, concept, truth, principle, that Jesus Christ lives in you. Like Martin Luther said, Christ is in you. We don't need to go through a priest. Barnum. Take out the whole village. You think the Christian crusades were about indwelt Christians carrying around swords? And if you're teaching your children that, dear homeschool parents, you are deceived. The Christian crusades were the Catholics fighting the Muslims. The Muslims hate the Catholics today because it is revenge time on the Christian crusades. 
That's what's happening. That's what's in our emails. That's what's in our news. You might try to wash it up because you need a comfort pill, but the reality is this. The Muslims have come back with a rage to deal with the losses they had during the Christian Crusades. Join me, dear listeners, particularly those of you who love study and history and truth. Join me, dear listeners, start calling it the Catholic Crusades, and you will be more accurate. We have put our entire church history in the Catholic Church. So it is of no surprise that when we look at bizarre symbols like this, of the cross burning, who burns crosses? Who rips hearts out of human body and eats them as an occult practice? And there's others. You see, this is bizarre. This isn't even Christ. I don't know who he is. But I can assure you that my Jesus doesn't look like a, a model from Hollywood. You see, there's just this dulling where we see these things and hear these things and whatever, and we're just kind of like, well, that, that's what they believe. Well, don't you care what they believe? Do you care that they are duped by the power of darkness? The blood of darkness? Why is everything about blood? You can't make a good movie unless you put blood in it. Do you know that? It just won't sell. You got to put blood in it. You know, you don't even want to read the news unless someone's being murdered. That's what makes it exciting. When you hear about Christian persecution, well, I have to send out blood pictures. Or people don't care. It, it doesn't strike their interest. So news is about blood stories and, and shows are about blood stories and, and it goes on and on and on. Blood is still very popular. We're almost done. Hebrew for heart. We have limid, which is staff or control. Then we have bet, which is house, family, inside. When you put it together, it's the one who controls the family from the inside. If that's not the exchange life, I don't know what is. So then why is the Catholic Church so offended by us talking about Christ living inside of our hearts, which is where we got that term, by the way. Jesus is not in your heart. He's in your life, your mortal being. That power radiates out of your entire being. That's why they would take snot napkins from Paul's pocket to people and they would be healed. You see, that is so offensive to a Catholic person because it speaks of the exchanged life. Christ is in you? Well, if they say, well, you know, being a Christian means you are overwhelmed or consumed by the Holy Spirit, and they'll talk like that. 
will do a postcard. Send it to me. Because that's how I view that stuff. To understand the power of the indwelling life of Jesus Christ and everything that comes with his blood is living and breathing inside my mortal being, I'll burn him. Just burn him. Because it comes against the doctrines of the sacred heart. We have, you want to keep that term intact, we have the sacred heart in us. That might be a little offensive. The doctrine of trans... Thank you. I said it several times as I was preparing today, and I'm going, I'm, I'm going to mess that one up. <laughs> Transformation is also part of the Roman Catholic belief, the bread and the wine, as you know, Shannon was bringing out a few minutes ago, it, it literally changes, not symbolically to be so serious. It actually changes into blood. And the bread literally changes into the body of Christ. Hello! That's a little bizarre. I'll get a 602 on that one, I'm sure. I told you about the altar boys dropping the bread and how that was such a horrific thing, or the priest spilling over a drop because they don't want to reintroduce the spilling of the blood of Jesus. And young Catholic children are told in their their Sunday school classes, if that's what they call them, catechism, catechism of the martyrs that lost their lives because they were literally willing to give their lives so that the cup didn't get spilled on the journey. That they gave their lives to preserve what was in that box. So Catholics simply allow the wafer to melt in their tongue whereby the flesh of Jesus is thought to be infused, literally becomes a part of your chemistry. Haven't you ever asked yourself, why don't they let the people drink from the cup? Why is it just the bread? I think like that. The mandate, the actual real mandate is to drink from this cup, to eat, eat this bread together. And the church sliced off half of it. What part did they slice off? The power over the people. So you have to go through this priest to touch the garment of the ones who have the power because they drink the blood of Jesus. Hello! Something wrong with that doctrine. And I can go on and on and on for hours from their policy book. Hours of them slicing off pieces of the verse to keep the power in the church. And that's why they have such big churches that are well financed. It's where the power is. Money always goes to where the power is. 
Here's our identity statement. Oh, not quite yet. For the life of the flesh, this is Leviticus 17.11, for the life of the flesh is in the blood. I have given it to you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood by reason of the life that makes atonement. Pretty powerful verse. So is there, blood, is there life in the blood? Even though the verse just says that it is. Beginning with the premise stated in, in this particular verse, which is the life of the flesh in the blood, is often speculated that the blood is the carrier of spiritual life. This is an obvious misinterpretation because the verse doesn't read the life of God is in the blood. It's in the seed. But the misinterpretation is amplified as they go on to explain that when God created man, the blood flowing in the circulatory system of Adam was the divine addition. Quote from them, it is the it is explained that the blood is sacred and that God's life flows in the bloodstream of man. And that's where the confusion started. Entire religions have been built on this one simple mistake. The most powerful religion in the entire world is built on this one mistake which I'm not sure it was a mistake. I think it was very purposeful. Now, listeners, listen to me very carefully. If you can take the power out of the Christians, you have to attack the blood issue. So if there is some kind of spiritual force that's building a system, a structure, to try to get that to take place, he would have to build a church that Jesus was so offended by. In fact, he says, I hate the doctrines of Nicolonian or Nicholas, who is the first Catholic. He was the first Catholic theologian. And Jesus himself said, I hate the teachings of Deacon Nicholas, in which the Catholic Church was put together by him, the Roman State Church. To keep the power in the state, you're going to have to do this, folks. And since we all know there's power in the blood, we have to keep that peace. And if people want access to it, we'll give them the brokenness part, but they need to line up and want to touch the priest for power. That's the only way you'll maintain power over all these people. Well, the indwelt Christians kicked back and said, not going to do it. And the great slaughtering that took place, the very first slaughtering that went so public they couldn't get it covered up. In fact, when I hear about the great spiritual Christian leader, Constantine, I get sick. 
because he and his brother are the ones that did this slaughter. You think Muslims slaughtered a bunch of Christians? You might want to review your church history. In order to keep the power with the state, in order to keep the power with the state, you have to start a state church. Then you have to keep the blood. It's all it is. We'll talk more about it next week. Here's Hebrew for life, which life is to reveal the inner being that makes up of the who. So for life of the flesh, flesh in Hebrew is the tent that destroys the path. For life of the flesh is in the blood. Blood in Hebrew is the path of chaos. You put this together and here's what Hebrew reveals. To reveal the inner being that makes up of the who, identity, of the tent that destroys the path, which is the path of chaos and destruction. That is a beautiful way to explain to a person that you're born into sin. So the Hebrew never lies. It reveals Jesus, it reveals the cross, it reveals the blood, it reveals what happened at the cross with the blood. It has always been there. And this Leviticus passage is simply saying, I'm telling you folks, listen carefully, there is power in the blood. But I'm going to give you a blood that is perfect. Perfect atonement. Communion table. But right now I have to show you this through find your flawless lamb for me. Abel. And what was the payback from Cain? Blood. It's always about the blood, folks. Next week we are going to be getting into the actual identity in the blood. There might be a couple of you that have been listening that, you know, you're like, I have heard the Lord today, I have heard the Lord tonight, or if you're driving down the freeway, you, you're, you listen to this message and the Holy Spirit's touching your heart saying, you are not indwelt, you're one of those Christ followers. When you get home, or if you're at home, or you're in your office, print off the PDF. It's got a copy of every one of the slides that we covered today, and it also has a sample salvation prayer. Never assume someone is saved. Never. You have been listening to the Identity Matters Podcast. Thank you for joining us. If you'd like more information about our ministry, log on to www.iomamerica.org.